for the Athletic Podcast Network. This is The Update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Eno Saris, who covers analytics and Major League Baseball for The Athletic, about the changes to the ball in Major League Baseball. This was a hot topic over the last couple of years, but baseball has decided to add the humidor to all 30 stadiums instead of just the 10 that it had previously been in. What's the impact that will have on the 2022 campaign? Also, a little look at some of Eno's breakout players and people to watch when it comes to fantasy baseball this season, and maybe a little beer talk as well. All that and more coming up with Eno Saris, who joins me next. Today is Monday, April 4th. Always fun when we can catch up with Eno Saris, who covers baseball and analytics for The Athletic. Fun to get into stuff with him, and we kind of do this annual hit with him. This is the uh, third year in a row, I think, we've had Eno on talking baseball. Though the first year, I think, you know, when we talked to you before the start of baseball season, it wasn't in April, it was in June, shortly before opening day, dude. What's going on? How are you? I guess I'm just happy that it's not June again. I mean, for a second there... (laughs) It looked like we might be headed towards something like that. So thank God we got baseball and we only, you know, we only had to shove it three or four days and we had to rip through a crazy transaction period. We did 90 days of transactions in, in about seven days. And then we had to do six weeks of spring training in three weeks. So, you know, it feels very rushed and crazy, but at the same time, super happy about it. So for my fantasy baseball guys out there and, and ladies out there, we'll, we'll get into a little bit of that afterwards because, you know, you did help me uh, with a couple of your projections last season uh, for targets in my draft. Vladdy Jr. was one of them. You picked him to have a big year and said he might go on and win the MVP and almost did, almost won a triple crown. We'll talk about that. But first I want to hit on, on a topic that you wrote about. It's about humidors, where the humidor obviously came to Arizona, came to Colorado. We did not have them. And I think you and I have even had the conversation about why the humidor was not used universally. We just kind of looked at, at altitude in certain spots and said, yeah, it's a problem here. The balls are drying out. We need to use them. It's coming to baseball, not just for cigars, but for baseballs in general. It's coming wide-ranging. How is this going to affect ballpark, I don't know, home runs? What's the general effect of the humidor coming to the rest of the league? I think it'll be a muted effect for most parks because the most extreme parks have already been done. You know, Arizona and Colorado are the driest parks. What is left, however, are some extreme humid parks, And what the humidor will do in a humid park is actually dry the balls out because all the humidor does is bring everything to one humidity. And so that one humidity in, say, San Francisco or Petco Park or in Cleveland Stadium, that one humidity will be drier than it used to be. And that means the balls will be springer and there will be a little more offense in those most humid parks. Are you saying the Giants are going to hit more than 240 home runs? I know. I mean, they just had one of their best (laughs) offensive seasons of all times. But I do think that it's instructive to think about this in the context of what's happening in that ballpark. Because what they've done already is change the outfield dimensions to reduce the effect of triples alley although they said it was because of the bullpens and that was a health issue like a health and safety issue but at the same time what it did was make the park play a little bit more offensive friendly they they changed the way the wind flows through the arches down there and that made the ball more, more offensive friendly this humidor will make that ballpark more offensive friendly and what it's doing is bringing the ballpark closer to the middle And the reason why teams want to do this is because let's say you're a hitter that's falling, that you're Michael Conforto. You need a, you need a pillow bounce back place. You need to land somewhere to play for a year. And then, and then so you can get a better deal later. You in the past would never have signed in San Francisco, you know, 
You just would have said, nope. It's like a pitcher signing in Colorado. You just wouldn't have done it. (laughs) And I think it makes it hard to team build because when you're team building, you need to grab any value you can anywhere. If you think Michael Conforto is good on a bounce back contract, you want him to sign with you. So, you know, that's why I think teams are doing this. And I, I know that there's some pushback from fans being like, well, I like that these parks are so different. I think parks can be different because of the foods they offer, the beers they offer, the way they look, the the brick, the whatever, you know, the it doesn't necessarily need to be different. Like I never looked at a ball flying through the air and be like, I I wish that ball was soggier. Yeah. <laughs> wish it was more dense out there. I wish the ball would die sooner. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, <laughs> and really, this is something we've been looking at for years. And like, why wasn't it in every ballpark? It seems to make sense that you would just sort of normalize things across the board. Everybody should be playing with balls uh, with the same structure and, and maybe have the same effect when contact is made with a bat. So getting into some of the, uh, the the player stuff, who's somebody you're looking at this year that you're excited about for a bounce back year? Or, or, or maybe it's a rookie you got your eye on. Is it Julio Rodriguez of the, the Mariners? Is it somebody who's going to have a break? Breakout season. Uh, what's in your mind as far as players to pay attention to, or could be exciting for this season? Well, one really quick humidor-related one is I think Manny Machado could. I see a lot of wall scrapers last year, and if if they get any extra boost in their with their balls in play in, in San Diego, I could see him hitting forty-four homers or something. So that's a little bit of value. He's already a top pick, but I think he could go earlier than he does. Uh, in terms of young rookies that are really exciting, I'm super excited about Bobby Witt Jr. in Kansas City. And one of the reasons is I have absolute confidence, I think. I mean, I could be wrong, but I think he'll start the season in Kansas City because that team has always treated their minor leaguers right when you know, when there was a COVID lockdown, they paid all their minor league staff, they paid their minor leaguers, they've talked about how they want to create this good culture. And so I think, you know, Bobby Witt looks like one of their best players, they're going to put him in the lineup and they're going to do it from day one. So that's a, a intriguing power and speed combination. I think Julio Rodriguez is playing his way in because Kyle Lewis is hurt in that Seattle outfield. He's playing his way in. They keep saying he looks like a good center fielder. I think he might go from day one, and he's one of the most exciting bats. When it comes to arms, I think uh, it's all in Tampa for some reason. The uh, combination of Shane Boz and Luis Patino are probably my two favorite young arms. I know Boz just had a surgery, but I've been told it's been described to me as basically a cleanup, uh, a thing where he can start throwing as soon as the stitches are dry. So I think that he'll be back in May, and he'll have a great season. And Luis Patino is going to be there from day one. And both of them just have awesome, awesome stuff. So I'm looking forward to seeing those two pitch. Basically, any arm the Rays bring up at any point in any season, <laughs> I'm excited about. It. I'm like, oh, you're a Tampa Bay Ray. You might be kind of good. In terms of like how teams are approaching bullpens now, say you had a conversation about this last week or a couple of weeks ago. You know, the closer by committee. I used to think, you know, in the early 2000s and in the 90s, if you were a team that went closer by committee, you were in trouble. You just kind of you needed to have somebody with the makeup of a closer to lock down games. That's not so much the case anymore. We see more and more teams, obviously, playing the analytics, playing odds, playing situational baseball. But like when it comes to the Giants, they've got three guys who they're going to open the season with and Camilo Doval and Jake McGee and Tyler Rogers, who all had experience closing games last year. Doval's the guy who appears to have the most closer-like stuff. But when you look across the league, are there fewer and fewer actual closers? I mean, Liam Hendricks is obviously one of the great ones right now in baseball, but are there fewer guys who are just pure closers, you think, and teams are going more closer by committee? And, and what's the effect of that on the game? 
Yeah, I mean, the effect on the fantasy game is that people are now taking Hayter and Hendricks in the second and third rounds, and it's something that I'm not <laughs> used to. I feel like an old man, you know, shaking my fist at the cloud. Why would you do that? But um, it, it makes sense in some formats, especially the smaller your format is. If you're in a 10 12 team league, then that makes a lot of sense. In terms of what's happening on the field in the game, it does lead to a little bit less. Like, I love the, the closer music. Even like Hansel Robles had this, like, this white horse closer video where this white horse is just like running through the fields and there's this music and I was like this is weird but I love it Um, (laughs) it's almost like what you see with like the opener and some of the bullpen day strategies where you know when it comes to your fourth or fifth starter or or maybe your setup guy or maybe even your closer it may not just be one guy anymore and that there is something lost I think fan wise where we used to have these larger than life characters and we lived and died with Rob Nen or whatever you know Um, and now it's like well who is it tonight I don't know but from an analytic standpoint, the reason it makes sense is the game by the numbers is often, I mean, maybe that's not strong enough, is usually or almost always won or lost in the seventh inning. And so the closer, if you think about it that way, then the closer should be your second or third best pitcher <laughs> in the, pen, the bullpen, you know, because you should pitch your best pitcher in the seventh when the game is on the line. So I think that's what's your, what you're kind of seeing in San Francisco, for example. I think you'll see a lot of Doval in the seventh when the heart of the other uh, the opposing order is coming up. It's a, it's a tie game or a close game. Doval strikes them out, and then Rodgers gets everybody in the ninth <laughs> inning to do those little squibbly ground balls, and and the game's over, you know. And and everybody in the ninth is like, "That's your closer, dude. The guy who throws from his underneath his knuckles." And or it's Jake McGee, but. If they're more lefties, maybe, but um, I think that that's the, the sort of revelation that leads to the bullpen spy committee. It's the seventh inning is the most important, and that's when you really need to strike out the heart of the order. You might not even get to the heart of the order in the ninth thing, and if you just strike them all out in the seventh. It's that old baseball adage that uh, the, you know. The, remember, people said that for years. You know, the save doesn't always come in the ninth inning. Sometimes the the biggest inning of the game is a little bit earlier. And now we're actually seeing it's it's playing out that way. So it's a, it's a good breakdown of how that's going. Give me give me a guy or a couple of guys I should be focused on in my fantasy draft. Uh, mine's coming up on Wednesday before the start of the season. Uh, give me a couple of guys I should focus on. Maybe uh, like last year, you gave me Vladdy Jr. Uh, given Shohei Otani, I think is an obvious one. But uh, give me somebody who's maybe due for the breakout that you think is going to have a big season well you know in my bold predictions piece i had joey Votto hitting 40 homers and that doesn't fit your kind of like young player breakout situation but you know what happens is we fetishize these young players and we're all excited about bobby wood jr and we forget about joey Votto. and by all accounts he had his best power year of his career last year and it looks like he earned every bit of it he, he's changed some stuff about the way he swings I think he could just have another year like that and to get somebody who's going to hit like 270 with 40 homers where you get him in drafts, like uh, I think that's just an incredible value. I've given you uh, some of my pitching sleepers already, but my pitching ranks are continually updated. I think some some late pitching guys that I like better than people are Tanner Houck in Boston. He looks like Chris Sale, but from the right side. He's skinny and has that like sidearm thing, and I think it'll I think it'll work, even though you know third pitch is a bit of a question for him. And uh, who's another guy I like better than everybody else? Logan Gilbert is uh, throwing flames in Seattle right now. Him and Matt Brash are a little bit like Tampa West, where they throw super hard. They look like they're the third third and fourth or fourth and fifth pitchers in that rotation. And uh, Gilbert 
you know, had an up and down rookie season, but this year he's made some improvements to the secondary pitches and he's always had a really great fastball. He's also really interesting because he's six, seven and he strides really close to the plate. So there's nobody else in baseball that releases the ball closer to the plate. So when he throws 94, the batter, it feels like 98. Because it's like 103 when he yeah, lets it's, go. It's just yeah. like it's on them, you know. It's 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 released closer to them. It's something that Tyler Glass now used to do. So it, it is it is something that's meaningful. Actually, before we let you go, I can't let you go without a, a a little beer conversation. I guess number one is: Have you been to all 30 ballparks? Have you been to all, every not, uh, every stadium not. in the league? When I rank them, I have to I have to I have some trusted beer advisors in certain cities. <laughs> exactly. So give me your. Uh, are, are you guys doing your beer article again? Best beer in every ballpark, or where where to grab beer in each ballpark this year? You got to do that every other year. We'll see, and, and maybe I'll get to more ballparks this year. Now that there's more traveling. Give me the ballpark you're most excited to visit this year. I'm going to actually. I may hit you up. I'm going to Wrigley in a couple of weeks, uh, third week of the season uh, for the first time, and I'm going to need some uh, some beer advice. Tell me, uh, tell me where you're excited to go at the start of this year. That one's tough, actually. I think maybe just grab the old style and and get the better beer okay. afterwards because <laughs> that's a, that's one of my worst beer ballparks. But I have heard that they're trying to make some improvements. You might find some half acre there while you're there. I'm actually really excited. I'm going to be going also to Chicago, but it's Chicago's south side where the beer is much better. So, you know, I think that uh, that is one of the most underrated beer ballparks. There is a strong case for that to be maybe even number one. It is a really great beer ballpark. They have these craft beer caves full of sort of hazy IPAs, cans from the best breweries in Chicago. That one's really good. And Cincinnati is also underrated as a beer ballpark. So I don't know if I'll be able to get there this year, but I do want to get out there. All right. Good stuff, dude. Uh, always fun catching up. You know, we'll definitely uh, talk to you sometime as, as we get into the season. And uh, I'll be sure to uh, to shoot you some DMs or some texts if, if your picks don't work out for oh, me. Oh, yeah, please, please, <laughs> please, please tell me how angry All you right. are. <laughs> All right, dude. I'll catch you later. Thanks for having me. Good stuff from you know Saris always does a great job uh, looking at baseball in a in a different light and from a different angle. Uh, we're pretty lucky to have him here at the Athletic and good for analytic stuff. Good for uh, the lay person like me who who grew up watching baseball with a little bit of a different mindset and, and obviously you know watched it then too. But he can really sort of uh, put it into perspective and, and give us meaning to why some of these stats are important for some of these players. So. Thank you to Eno Saris. Thank you to Brian, my producer. And thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is you're listening. Baseball is here. We're going to keep that going later this week with the Giants opening on Friday at Oracle Park. That's all coming up on the Update Podcast. Until Wednesday, enjoy the week. We'll talk to you then.